The Gospel according to St. John. It's the 14th chapter, and Jesus is speaking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Blessed Thomas. Blessed Thomas who so shamelessly speaks his heart. Right? Brave Thomas who interrupts our epiphany with the blessing of his awkward question. We need his question. We need his question lest we carry on thinking that we know the answer. Do we know the answer? Do we know the answer? Many of us know what Jesus answered. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We know the verse there in the 14th chapter of the gospel according to St. John. We know the quote. It has been made into bumper stickers and it's been embroidered into granny's wall decoration. It's made its way into not-so-subtle flyers filled with fear and corny digital wallpapers with sunrises. It has been quietly spoken in funerals as we say farewell to our dead, and it has been shouted from pulpits to condemn the living. Do we know the answer? What is it, after all, that we expect to know. Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? It's a good question, Thomas. It's a good question. Today is the third Sunday in the season of Epiphany. And this is the season in the liturgical calendar, the cyclic calendar of the church, right? This is the season that reflects on the revelation of Christ as the very God, of God's revelation in Christ. And in our own uh, cycles of Epiphany series here in OIC, we have been hearing Jesus' I am declaration, so-called I am declarations in the Gospel of John, where he borrows this language of the God I am that I am and says about himself, I am the good shepherd. We talked about, I am the true vine. Three Sundays in, 2,000 years in, we risk thinking that we have figured this out. 
And then Thomas interrupts us with his question. Honestly, Jesus, we don't understand what you're talking about, Thomas says. Can you just be a bit clearer? Can you just explain it in a way we can grasp? And I say, bless Thomas, who doesn't nod along and fake his understanding so that he won't lose standing among the disciples. And he's not alone. Not in history and not in the Bible text. Philip also voices his confusion, even though he does it with a request rather than a question. Jesus goes on from this uh, new I am test, uh, uh, statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip, Philip can't hold himself. Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Show us the Father. Lord, help us see clearly. And Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, don't you know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So there you go. There you go, Thomas and Philip. Now you know the answer. There you go, OIC. Now we know the answer. Do we know the answer? There's a deeper question here, though, which is, again, what sort of answer do we expect to know? To come at it from a different angle, it's worth exploring what we make of the question and what we make of the request. Are Thomas and Philip weak in believing? Are they slow in understanding? Or does their very honest question reveal something we might just share with them? Perhaps a need for more clarity a need for clearer directions, a need for a more crystallized, graspable kind of certainty. I believe the history of interpretation and use of these verses in John 14 reveals that this might just be the case. For my part, I know that I share this desire and this need that Thomas and Philip display here. And I would argue that not only the ways in which humanity has expressed itself religiously, but also our advances in science and technology, they say something about this desire for clarity, this desire, this desire for certainty. We want to understand how things work. We want to understand. We want to understand their mechanism. And we want to be able to explain the dimensions of their nature in ways that can be crystallized in machines, in books, in diagrams, and explanatory folders. This is what it is. This is how it works. And when we know things in this way, or believe that we know, 
we feel safer. We feel safer from the chaos of existence, of life, and we feel more in control of this thing that we call living, existing. The problem, though, is that the location in the time-space continuum in which all of this knowing works less is the present, is the here and now. Because it is here and now that the realities of pain, of suffering, of loss, it is here and now that the unpredictability of existence as we experience it, the sheer complexity of the physical and spiritual worlds, it is here and now that they assault our certainties. Like new wine pushing out on the crackled resistance of these old wineskins, pushing as it ferments with life, with lived life. And assaulted in that way and afraid of losing our certainties, we develop strategies to protect them. Often by placing them somewhere else than the messiness of the here and now. Perhaps we place them in the future where they are protected by this buffer of what hasn't happened yet. My father's house has many rooms, says Jesus. And we envision a heavenly mansion, safely placed in some eschatological future where its imagined wealth and opulence seems less of an offense to the dirt we step on. There, after life and after history, this father's house is impervious to our physical and our spiritual brokenness. There, our certainty doesn't need to bother with the complexity of life lived here and now, except to say it will pass. Where are you going, Jesus? Where exactly is that? How can we get there? Or perhaps we place our certainty on paper, on statements, on these encapsulated dogmas that are both shielded and, if necessary, weaponized against the complexities of the present and against whoever carries them in their lives and in their bodies. I am the truth and the way and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we make it into a bumper sticker so that whoever is run over knows by whom and why. What do we make of the question and the request? What do we make of the answer given? What sort of answer do we expect to know? Does this text in our scriptures lend itself to this need of ours for certainty and clarity and for security and securing our certainty somehow? Now, if the text itself lends itself is a very complex question, and history definitely witnesses to it having been used so. What I found as I spent time with this text, however, is that I believe the text is aware and is sensible to this very desire of ours. And in fact, it seems to me that both Jesus 
and the gospel writer John, they almost coax forward these questions from Philip and Thomas. Right? They almost seek out these questions precisely because they are so present and so human and the gospel does address them. But perhaps addresses them differently than we might expect. There is here something else, a different way of knowing. To better explain to you what I mean, I need to read it again with you. And as we do, I would ask you to pay attention to how Jesus seems to play with time, shifting between future tense and present tense in a remarkable way. And I'll read from 14, 1 to 11. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. We can stop there. This is truly a remarkable passage. It has a structure that is almost poetical in the literary sense, which I believe matches both the style of John the Gospel writer and also the wisdom of Christ, who so often speaks in parables and that kind of thing. And I already called our attention to how Jesus plays with time, right? A good example of this is verse 7. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Where are you, Jesus? <laughs> you know? There's another detail of language and translation here that really opens this text wide open. What in the NIV is translated as rooms? In my father's house, there are many rooms. And other translations translates rather better as dwelling places. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Why is this important? Well, this is really significant, not only in the context of this specific test, but because dwelling is a concept, a sort of a theological handle that John strongly explores throughout the whole of his gospel. And when we come to verse 10, and Jesus speaks of being in the Father and the Father in him, the language there connects to this very same concept. The Father and the Son dwell in each other. The Son dwelled with the Father in the beginning, if you go to the first chapter of John. 
This sheds a whole other light on the affirmation of the Father's house with multiple dwelling places. So Jesus is making an invitation into something else than this heavenly mansion somewhere in the future. This is an invitation into the intimacy of the Trinity itself, of the God self itself. And this makes all the more sense when we realize that this passage is part of John's Pentecost story. This is how, for many, each of the gospel tells about the promise of the Holy Spirit in different things. And it's more or less consensus among many theologians through the ages that this section is when is John's Pentecost, when Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. And it goes into, later on, he will be specifically talking about the helper, the paraclete. And that will go into this indwelling, this dwelling with each other. So once we realize this, this theological, poetical structure of this, te- of this text starts showing up. Jesus starts with this language of dwelling places, right? He is in the Father, but the Father has many more dwelling places, which Father and Son are in community preparing. Preparing for whom? And the metaphor, it doesn't only confound us, though, right? Thomas wants to know where are these rooms? He wants tangible certainty, safeguarded somewhere. And Jesus answered to his question rather mystically with another metaphor that builds further on Thomas' desire to pinpoint a place. But now it's no longer a place, now it's a way. Where is this place? I am the way the truth, and the life. It's this ongoing thing. And then he speaks of knowing, which Thomas has asked for, right? How do we know where this is? But this knowing he speaks of is the knowing of someone and not somewhere. The knowing of someone. It is a language of intimacy. Not a language of location. Not a language of circumscribing with definition. A language of knowing someone. And then Jesus does this twisting of the time continue that gets everybody confused again so that Philip jumps in. Can you, Jesus, please further define this father to us? And Jesus' answer asks, what does it mean to know someone, Philip? Can you pinpoint them on a thought or a concept? Can you figure them out? Or do you dive into the relational knowing of each other? How do you do that with God? Well, Jesus says, by accepting my invitation into the mutual indwelling of the Trinity, of the God self. Sure, we came up with the concept of the Trinity hundreds of years later, right? But this intimacy of the God self by believing here and now, by knowing me, Jesus says, because I am here. I am here. By knowing the Spirit, because the Spirit is coming, and I will still be here, because the Spirit is here. By believing here and now. Choosing to know someone in that sense is committing to a profound way of knowing that is able to let go of hardened certainties, 
That's why a text like this is wonderful. Because the gospel gives space, space for doubt and confusion and not knowing because they are important. They are necessary spaces for cultivating meaningful relationships, meaningful life, meaningful love. I think love needs mystery. Love needs not knowing in the sense that it needs to let go of that certainty. And I know it may sound counterintuitive, right? Among all the romantic tales of love at first sight that we see on movies and what it may be, as love as the force that makes one go over all obstacles, surely that is out of some sort of certainty. But no, certainty is often a prison in which we put ourselves and put others. And this is what I mean. When we assume we know all there is to know about someone else, Rather than learning to love, we learn to hate whatever assaults the castle of our certainty. When we think we have our partner figured out, we move from love to conformity, then annoyance, because they're not playing the game right, and finally distance or hate. Love needs mystery. We do this with other partnerships, don't we? with friendships. You see this displayed and we play this deadly game on social media all the time, don't we? We got stuff figured out. We know what the other is about, what I'm about. And when it doesn't go, we move to hate. Rather than accepting this invitation into love. There is certainly mystery in Jesus' words here. And there is love. There is an invitation to the knowing of love, to a living epiphany. I think Jesus pokes the bear of our need, of our insecurities, of all of that, so that he can say, Let it go and come here. Come close. Come to me. I know, Philip. I know, Thomas. I know you want to figure it all out. But that hard answer you want is going to break you. Know me. Be with me. This will mean being with the Spirit. (laughs) This will mean being with the community of faith. You're going to have to keep on figuring this out but I'm here. That is a kind of knowing that can be here now, right? It's a kind of faith that doesn't need to be shielded from how difficult it is. Because it's difficult. That's why we make these questions. Because life forces these questions on us, doesn't it? We think we got it figured out. And then it doesn't. What a wonderful thing that Christ's invitation to knowing is to knowing him. Now what that will look like 
I can't answer. If I give you one answer now, I'll ruin it all. Also, I don't know it. Right? What I do believe is that we can keep on knowing and step into it. And I believe that the Father's house, that the Father's house has many, that the Father's heart has many dwelling places. And that we're welcome. That we are welcome. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you that you may know that he is gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you today and tomorrow and every day hereafter that he may bring you peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Serve each other, serve the Lord, serve the world joyfully. Amen.